0: Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 341 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday, September 12th, 2021, and we have some football to discuss. We have basketball name, image, and likeness deals to discuss. And, of course, we have to get into that draft vote that we did on the last show, uh, where everyone has been talking about it on the forums. But before we get into all that, Donald Wine here, your host for this episode. I am back in the United States after... I believe it was nine days of travel uh, throughout the Central uh, Central America region, as well as Nashville. Uh, I have my two friends with me here, Jason Evans and Sam Klein. Jason, first of all, good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Donald. Um, you you
1: at least rooted uh, Team USA onto a win over Honduras.
0: Yes, a very epic comeback. Uh, we uh, On Stars and Stripes FC, my podcast over on the soccer side, I discuss all of that, so... I'll leave this the soccer for that show. Uh, but Sam Klein, good morning to you. Uh, did you get to watch the game the other
2: night? I did not get to watch the soccer the other night, uh, but I did need to tell everybody because I, I don't brag often, or I, I try not to, at least. you can You can correct me if I'm wrong. But this morning I did do a good deed, and I would like to share it with the people. I was walking out of a coffee shop. I was going to get back in my car, and I saw a, uh, a couple of folks who had gotten into their car that was parked right in front of my car, and there was a cup full of some kind of cold beverage that was on top of the car, and I waved at them uh, animatedly to get them to not drive away. With They were all in the car. They were about to turn the car on, and so I stopped them from spilling the drink all over their car and wasting the $5 that they spent. So that's my good deed of the day.
1: I, I have a drive away with thing on your car story. Um, just the other day, uh, about a week and a half ago, I was in Florida. Um, uh, my wife and I went and visited some friends. We took our dog. The do- you know the, It was basically the dogs were uh, our, our children, so to speak. And we were on vacation with the dogs. And we went someplace and we put the dogs in the car. And I put the leash on the hood of the car while I put the dog in the car. And then we drove away and we didn't
0: have the leash. And that was a big problem. <laughs> wow that uh look <laughs> i'm sorry is that, jason that's... i don't know if you know this i don't know if you know this but yeah we're doing this live uh right when you were about to do the punchline you froze so we we eventually got it but i was i was left hanging there for about 10 seconds i want to know what happened to the leash <laughs> it's better than leaving the dog on top of the car yes. Yes. yes 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 you didn't you didn't do a you didn't do a national lampoon's vacation so that's good uh cameron's safe um but you know what let's Enough with all that, let's get into the talk of the day, which really, let's start with this. Name, image, and likeness is something that we have been discussing on the show for months, and we've talked about some of the various deals that have come through the pike as this name, image, and likeness era began on July 1st. Well, I think we have the coolest one yet, because Paulo Bancaro has just inked a deal with uh, NBA 2K, the, the, the video game, company and he is going to be the first college player to be featured in nba 2k it will be in this latest version nba 2k 22 which i believe has already dropped or is about to drop um but he is going to be a part of that video game and will also do various contents uh or various content over the course of the upcoming season he will have his own character in the game and this is really just leading up to the fact that paulo BenCaro is widely speculated to be the first pick, if not one of the first picks in next year's NBA draft. So Sam, I will go to you first. What is your thought on Paulo Bancaro signing this deal with 2K? And does it make you excited to play the game, or at least make you excited that a Duke player can be found on this game?
2: All the above. Uh, I am, I am admittedly not much of a gamer, but I'm very excited that this is happening. And it's just inevitable that the, that the NCAA games that, You know, the the previous NCAA football and NCAA basketball games will get rolled into the uh, professional versions of these games, or at least to some extent they will. I'm not sure if the if the colleges want to be sort of on the field with the with the pro teams, because the because the game might say that all the colleges will get smacked, Uh, but It's very exciting to see this sort of thing. Of course, Paulo was going to be in the video game next year coming into his rookie season. So why not get a, get a jump on that this year? Why not put a Duke Jersey on the guy? Why not let him be a a potential free agent? I'm sure given the reports that we've heard about Paulo and the, and the limited um, game footage that we've gotten from him from high school and, and some of the practice footage, I'm sure that he would be a, if not, very good NBA player right now, at least a, a productive, useful NBA player. So uh, why not put him in the game? Why not have him going up against the best of the best? I'm sure he's looking forward to to getting to the NBA. And so so this is all just very exciting and, and cool for Duke and for
0: Paulo. Yeah, and this is, I for me, the next step in a process that's going to lead to eventually, uh, like you said, Sam, having those NCAA games coming back that EA Sports used to have back in the day. Uh, fun fact I am in March Madness, 2003 and 2004. My face, my voice. Really? Did did you get paid? (laughs) I I got paid, yes, because I I was not a student athlete, so I could get paid. Um, But basically what they did back in the day is they had the intros where you go, EA Sports, it's in the game. And for March Madness, 2003 and 2004, they came to Duke and they filmed people. They said, hey, if you want to come out and be extra, uh, they were filming people and the people who got you know, picked were the intro to the game. So it cycled through different colleges and in different people. And in 2003, I have my own intro. There's no one else in it. In 2004, it's more of a montage of Duke, Duke fans uh, and Duke students. And I was one of those Duke students. So that was pretty cool. So I'm looking forward to that coming back because I think those are nice little additions to the game in a lot of ways for college kids to kind of make their mark and impact on what is, you know, a multi-billion dollar industry? Jason, what are your thoughts on, on Paolo joining the, the elite in being part of NBA 2K22? So, uh, so I got two things I want
1: to talk about this. One is um, the present and one is the past. In terms of the present, uh, it's, it's a big deal for Duke, for Paolo to be the first collegiate basketball player or football player for that matter. The First college player in the new name, image and likeness era to be put in this really, really high profile position. We already spoke on a previous podcast about what a big deal it was that Paolo was the first college basketball player to sign with CAA, which is the biggest, most important um, talent representation agency out there. And and for them to have chosen him as their representative, I'm sure that they are the ones who negotiated this deal with EA Sports for NBA 2K22. Um, so from a build your brand perspective, from a, uh, you know, I'm important and I'm a big deal perspective, these are huge moves for Paolo. And, and, and you know, prior to this, th- there were people out there who would sort of try to, to make college basketball players or college football players on their own, like in franchise mode on these, on these games, you can create your own player. And people would try to sort of build players on their own, but but that's always going to be flawed. It's not going to be completely accurate. It's not going to really have the feel of the actual player. The fact that you are going to actually be able to play with Paolo, again, like I say, is a big deal and is and is pretty cool and interesting. That's the that's the pre and, and Paolo's going to get paid. I don't think, by the way, I, I want to be clear, I don't think Paolo's going to get paid like millions of dollars for this. Um, this is probably one of many, many deals that EA uh, that, that, sorry, that CAA is putting together for him. And, you know, I don't know, 10, 20, 50,000 bucks, maybe, maybe a little more than that. Who, who, who knows?
0: But a lot of these, as we've talked about before, are just kind of setting them up for the next deal. So like when yes. he becomes a pro 2k is going to be like, all right, now that you're a pro now we're going to come with the big bucks. And I think that is where this is just kind of getting his foot in the door, so to speak And 2k on their side is saying, Hey, we have a year where we can see how this is going to work. And if it does work, it'll pay off big time for them and they'll reward Paula Bancaro down the road with a bigger contract.
1: Right. So, so like I said, that's the present. Uh, I also want to talk about the past because there's an important symbolism um, in this name, image and likeness deal. Folks, I'm sure you will recall that uh, EA sports was sort of the center of this whole issue of name, image and likeness. This is, this is where it came into the public consciousness when uh, former UCLA basketball player Ed O'Bannon filed a lawsuit in 2009, where he said, "Hey, I-, I was I was playing EA Sports College Basketball, and they have a historic UCLA team that has a player who looks like me, has my number, and um and 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 shoots the same way I shoot. You know, plays the game the way I do. This is clearly me in the game, and I'm not getting paid for it." Um, and so he filed a lawsuit. Uh, it was a class action lawsuit on behalf of um, hundreds, I think, thousands of players. And, and, and he eventually won. But, uh, you know, he didn't personally win $40 million, but they won $42 plus million from the NCAA and from EA Sports for, uh, for their name, image, and likeness being used in these games, even though they weren't paid for it. And, and the case went all the way to the Supreme Court. This was back in the, you know, right around 2014, I believe it was. This was one of the major events that brought name, image, and likeness into the public consciousness. It's a big, big deal. And, and NBA 2K has not, uh, NBA and college, 2K, EA Sports has not been making a college football or college basketball game since then, um, since the early 2010s. Uh, and 2014. They now 2013, right. Uh, they now say they're going to bring it back. They're going to bring it back in 2023. Now they say they're going to mostly bring it back with unidentified players, that there's going to be college versions of the game and you won't be able to tell, you know, you'll play with Duke, but Duke won't look like the real Duke roster. But I think what they're actually going to do is they're going to try and uh, they're going to pick and choose different players where they will develop relationships with them and those players. So, So you'll play with Duke and the Duke roster will feature some Duke players, not the whole team, perhaps. But some Duke players who've signed deals with with EA Sports. And I I, I think that's an interesting development. And I just wanted to, to highlight all that because there, there is a you know coming full circle kind of thing happening here with EA Sports signing Palo and uh you know Palo essentially being the person who breaks the dam to some extent on on them getting back into the college market that they've been out of since the courts said you can't do this anymore.
0: Yeah, and it's not like You know, you know, Charles O'Bannon, Ed O'Bannon, they were talking about, yeah, there is a historic team that has all the historic, you know, famous players. And one looks like me and one, you know, plays like me and one, you know, has the same height and build. They were doing that with the regular college rosters, too. When I was playing the game, I was the EA rep on campus, so I got to play the game a lot. And you see number 42. Ah, that looks like Reggie Love. Ah, same same height, same build, same weight same features, same characteristics, same attributes, like all of the, all of the details were there. The only thing that was missing was the name. And, you know, when you looked at a roster, that's where they were going to have to fix it is going to be, you know, you can't have number, you know, five and four and and two and all these numbers that are clearly guys on a roster. They're going to have to have like number 97, number 46, you know, numbers that don't exist in the college game so that people can't say this person looks like this guy. So, uh, I think it's going to be great to do this, and I think Paula was the first step in that. Sam, why don't you wrap this up for
2: us? Jason, I love that you you brought it back to the O'Bannon case and and talked about the significance. I am personally looking forward to uh, the the old time players that are going to show up and be salty about the fact that the the current players are the ones who are going to be making the money, and they're the ones that that got exploited back in the day. But you know, to me, hopefully, water under the bridge for those guys, and they can and they can be happy for the players of today who are getting to, to reap these benefits. So uh, hopefully if you're a, if you're a college athlete now who's going to get paid for this and you encounter a a college athlete of, of your, you get to thank them for
0: their, for their sacrifice. Hey, you got to crawl before you can walk. You can't run before you can crawl. So uh, for those people, they were the foundation and they'll hopefully they realize that, you know, what they went through was the foundation for making it easier for college athletes to be able to do what they need to do to get through and, and enjoy a full college experience like some of their non-student athlete counterparts. So uh, congrats to Paulo Bancaro. Looking forward to seeing you in the game. Uh, I, must be, I need to stack my chips so I can actually get the game so I can play as Paulo Bancaro in the game. But I do want to move on to the real, the, I mean, really the, the topic of the day. This is the big topic of the day. It's the results of the draft vote that we had on the last episode Obviously, the talk has been heated on, on the forums. We have been talking about which team is the best team. Uh, and I'm here to tell you that despite what I told you last episode, y'all don't think mine is the best one. And that's fine because it's my team. It's not your team. But I will turn it over to Jason, who was handling that episode and, and really has been going through all the conversation on the forum. So, Jason, take it away.
1: Yeah, so folks, if you have not listened to episode 340 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast, you're missing something fun. Donald, Sam, and I each drafted um, eight players from Duke history. Uh, The the draft order was Donald went first, then me, then Sam. Um, It meant that Sam got to snake it around and got picks three and four. Um, And I think that may have been the key to his team being super successful. Yeah, but in any event, um, we each came up with teams and then we we put, posted those to the DBR forums, the bulletin boards, and let people vote on who had the best team. And, and a really interesting thing happened. Uh, early on, sort of before there was even any conversation when people were just kind of voting based on what they saw of the rosters and people hadn't started discussing it too much, Donald and I jumped out to, to an early lead. In fact, I, I recall at one point, Sam had less than twenty percent of the vote, and Donald and I were each right around forty percent. Um, I really thought that Donald was going to be my main competition at that point. Uh, and then, uh, as folks started talking a little bit more, there was there was a lot of love coming from my team, um, which which my team is really, if you look at it, to some extent, it's it's the two thousand one championship team combined with the my era of the late eighties.
2: This is the this is the observation, Jason, that I was I was excited yes. for you to ma- and if you weren't going to make this i'm going to get there. out that that jason's team is very heavy on the 99 to 01 period and my team is very heavy obviously on the on the 1992
1: era yes and see that's sort of the interesting thing that i that i i was going to get to that about these that these teams represent different different factions so so my team which is you know shane battier Jay will mike dunleavy um I, you know i've even got elton brand from the 99 team so if you're in that 99 to 01 era my team is the team you would love and and i was going to say for a little while i vaulted out to a pretty big lead and both of you guys were far behind and then as people started talking more and more on the forums people started talking about sam's team which is grant hill christian leitner and bobby hurley those were his first three picks and everyone's like no christian christian leitner will not let his team lose And Sam, I can't even describe how huge Sam's comeback was. Like I said, at one point, I was a good 30% ahead of Sam. As we stand at this moment, there have been more than 100 votes cast. And Sam's team is very, very narrowly ahead of me. He's at 43.5%. I'm at 41.5%. And Donald is at 13%. We went went through a full 24-hour period. Where Donald didn't get a single vote. I think people just like, I feel sorry for you, Donald. I I, I don't no, know how to fine. explain it. Because here's the but, thing.
0: Yeah. To to analyze what I was seeing through the forums, a lot of people have their favorite players. And that's cool, right? Everyone has their favorite players, or their favorite team, or their favorite era. And they were picking guys that were on that team, right? So A lot of people love Christian Leitner. So Sam, you could see a lot of the votes coming in for Sam were like people saying Christian Leitner is my favorite player. So Sam has Christian Leitner. That's it. The other thing that I noticed is that initially people were like, why does it, you know, why does it Donald have Shane Bannier? Like what, what the hell? Right. And they didn't realize it was a draft and they didn't realize that, hey, some of these players that like, you know, Danny Ferry or something like that. People like, wait, Danny Ferry wasn't picked by Donald. How is this? No, Danny Frey was picked by a lot of us for a long time, and then Jason snagged him right before I was going to pick him. So the draft thing meant that you couldn't have your favorite, all your favorite players on one team, right? So it wasn't like pick your favorite Duke team of all time. And the third thing was okay, – We didn't do uh, it
1: that way because uh, our teams would have been Grant, Christian, Shane – Zion have been very similar and yeah. and JJ or something like I mean, like they would have been the exact same. We've had it would have had the exact same teams. No, no one's s- no one's not picking Shane or
0: Grant or or yeah. you know, there's a difference, be- yeah. But also there's a difference between favorite and best, right? You yeah. know, best team will have Christian Leitner. Favorite teams may not all have Christian Leitner on, for example. So, but at the same time, there's a lot of love and a lot of people who are like, wait a minute, what about what about G man? What about Art Heyman? And we had to preface this that, ladies and gentlemen, this was for the K era. Obviously, uh, Gene Banks was one I think was the notable omission that this is, uh, that this we is hard enough. Th- th- this exercise is hard enough for me to do in the K era because yeah. I'm picking a lot right. of guys that I never saw play as as Duke players. Right. So that's the thing is, is that it was fun. I think the, the fun part about it, Jason, was that you made it a draft and that you had opportunities where I think all of us took a player that. Each of us wanted right, or or snag someone right before someone else was about to snag this player. So I think that's what made it interesting and made it where you kind of had to. And also, I think the doing it as a team, right? The one, two, three, four, five. You had to have positions. You couldn't just pick, you know, the best five players and say, "All right, let it rock." Um, I think that was interesting because people are now talking about like who would play well together. Like a lot of people are thinking, well, with JJ and in sheldon yes they'll play together Would sheldon and zion play well together that's how people were kind of analyze this it went deeper than i thought it would yeah i will say that that my key to it provided that i that i hang on to this
2: narrow lead i think my key to victory is that neither of you decided to go uh like full draft blockage and remove bobby hurley for me as a third pick because because donald took jj reddick with his third pick and then Jason took Johnny Dawkins and then I took Bobby Hurley, obviously Johnny Dawkins, more of a two or sorry, you know, Johnny Dawkins is like a combo guard. JJ Reddick, of course, is a two. He's not a ball handler, but um, the fact that you both left Bobby Hurley for me to be taken after for me to take after I already had Leitner and Hill, I think is the, is the key to, to my success here, because ultimately I think one of the things that came up a lot in the forum is that, Danny Ferry lasted way too long in this draft and yeah. I could have had him way earlier to add to this team, but I didn't. Uh, yeah, I don't even ev- think it matters. I think it's about that top three.
1: I think everyone agrees the steal of the draft, the best pick of the draft and I got votes because of this was me taking Danny Ferry at 17. Danny Ferry does <laughs> as a, not as belong a bench at number player of 17. Uh, yeah. It's like, crazy.
0: and I would have taken him at 18.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but Donald's- the reality is he should, Danny Ferry should have been a top 10 pick. That's that's just the reality.
2: Donald's team is amazingly full of of guys who I watched play like Donald's team is the only one that exclusively has guys that I remember um, because the the oldest member of his team is Carlos Boozer, um, who even I have vivid memories of. So Donald was Donald was uh, more weighted towards the present.
1: And you would think that would work like that the voters would, you know, that our memories are more fresh. But I think nostalgia, nostalgia really helped, especially Sam, I think.
2: Look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to wade too deeply into who reads DBR and who reads other Duke forums, but let's be real. DBR, uh, folks who are listening to this show, maybe skew slightly older on yeah. the, on the full spectrum of Duke fans. And not that I was thinking that deeply about it, but, um, but I know that is the case. I present this, present these, these teams to, uh, to Duke fans at another site. And I wonder if the votes would end up differently.
1: It would be interesting. Hey, the, so the voting is still open. It it is not too late if you want to vote, Um, and it is still very, very close. Literally, one or two more votes could change the lead between me and Sam. For Donald's team, it
0: would take... I I invite you to throw any pity votes my way. I will accept all pity votes, even though my team is not a pity team. It's a really good team.
2: (laughs) It's a good team. It's a really good team. Kyrie Irving driving and kicking to J.J. Redick is, is is a scary thing to think about and, and with Zion just sort of waiting
0: off to the side. And we were this close to actually seeing it happen in the NBA, not at Duke, but yeah, still would have been cool. Uh, But yes, the, (laughs) the draft vote is online on the DBR forums. Go ahead and chime in with the conversation. Tell us about who your favorite team is. Uh, Tell us how you think the draft should have gone. Uh, Should I have taken Danny Ferry one pick earlier? Probably. Uh, Should someone have taken Elton brand in the top 10? Probably. Uh, but have that discussion on the forums. We really appreciate you guys voting uh, and may the best person win. It's going to again, it's going to stay open for a while so people can go on and vote. I encourage you to vote for my team, as I'm sure Sam and Jason would encourage you to try and separate one of them from the top of the pile. So oh, wait, one Sam, other thing now that I'm now that I'm reading the forum and we're
2: talking about old Duke guys, uh, I'm, I'm seeing that I remember reminded. That we recently kicked off the 2025 men's basketball recruiting thread, and the first post in it is about Carlos Boozer's kids, who are currently high school basketball players. So, uh, anyway, if you didn't feel old at all this week uh, for any reason, uh, now you can.
0: That that didn't help, Sam. It's that terrible. Did, that didn't help at all. <laughs> That's terrible. Uh, yeah. Someone that I went to class with has a kid who could be going to Duke very very soon. That's yes. We'll leave that for another show. You know what? Let's pause right here. We're going to try and get younger on the other side of the break. But on the other side, we do have some football to discuss, and it is positive news. What happened last last night against NCAT? Stay tuned and find out. All right, gentlemen, we are back and it is time to discuss some Duke gang football. The Duke Blue Devils took on the North Carolina A&T Aggies last night at Wallace Wade Stadium. It was the first time in about 560 days or so that there were fans at Wallace Wade. So welcome back to all the fans that were able to make it down there uh, to Wallace Wade last night. It was good to see them on TV, but the moral of the story is, what a difference a half makes, because in the first half, it was very much a struggle for the Duke Blue Devils as NCAT at one point held the lead. And Duke was able to take a 21-14 lead into the half. And then they opened up the floodgates, the final score, 45-17 Duke. And Jason, I want to start with you, because for me, the first half, there was a lot of struggles. But from your standpoint, what did you see? that Duke was doing wrong or that NCA was kind of doing right in the first half that led to this being way closer than we wanted it to be at the half.
1: So the first thing that Duke was doing wrong was the Duke defense still really, really struggles at tackling, um, you know, where you put your arms around a guy and you bring him to the ground. It's sort of an important aspect of football. And, uh, and our team has not been good at it for a while. And we were not good at it against NCANT. they, they had a truly remarkable uh, really long drive that took the entire, basically the entire first quarter. Uh, It was something I, I think on the clock, it was something like 12 minute long drive. I, it was, it went for 86 yards. They converted, I think it was five or six third downs on the drive. It was one of these, it was like a 20 play drive. Um, There were very few big chunk plays. You know, it was like, oh, they got two yards here. Oh, they got three yards here. They're facing third and six. And they would get, they would find a way to get those six yards. And they just kept on doing that down the field, down the field, down the field. Uh, uh, You know, it's rare that you see a team convert that many third downs. In the first half, NCANT was nine of 10 on third down conversions. That's just a, it's a, it's a crazy figure. First of all, it's not sustainable and, and it's also a little bit of an indictment of a defense that you know you need somebody, you got to step up and make a play on third down. And Duke did not do that consistently. Um, that said, uh, you know, Duke found a way to even have as poorly as the defense played in the first half, Duke still had to lead. And uh, you know, look, we're playing a team in NCAA and T, it's just from the standpoint of you know the quality of their recruits and who they bring into the program, they're not going to be able to compete with Duke. So we're supposed to beat them by thirty plus points, as we ended up doing. But th- that first half was just really frustrating because of the way that the defense played. Um, the offense was all right. Uh, NCA and T really packed the box on defense. They, they put a lot of guys you know right up there close to the to the line to pretend uh, to prevent uh, Mateo Durant from from ripping off big runs and that succeeded, but Duke was very successful through the air as a result. And, and, and I really like the fact that the team, that, that Duke didn't go, oh no, they're, they're stopping Mateo Durant, what are we going to do? We, we had a clear plan of what to do if they went, if they were gonna try and stop Mateo Durant and, and that plan succeeded. And Gunnar Holmberg um, was very accurate uh, in this game, much more accurate than he was in the first game. He, he moved the ball around a lot to different receivers. I thought Jalen Calhoun had a, had a, just a great game. Um, and Jake Bobo is clearly Gunnar Holmberg's, you know, favorite, uh, favorite receiver to, to find, but you know, I, on offense, I, I you want to hear something amazing guys for the first time in 20 games, Duke didn't have a turnover. Un- unreal you know? Big moves. Yeah. <laughs> that that's huge. Now our, our defense still didn't turn anybody over. We're still looking for our first defensive turnover on the season. Um, but, but at least the offense didn't turn the ball over, which is something that has just been a huge problem for Duke for way, way, way too long now.
2: I would like to uh, take us back to the darkest point in the game, which is uh, a, a reading just from the drive chart. Duke begins the game with a three and out. Three plays, negative 10 yards, and they punt. a and then takes the ball for 20 plays and marches for 12 minutes down the field just like a slow plotting. Like there were, a, there were a handful of first downs that were just like, just barely over the yellow line. And then, and then it just keeps going and going and going and the clock is ticking and they score a touchdown. So now we are like almost at the end of the first quarter and, or basically at the end of the first quarter. And a has a seven, nothing lead and has proven that the D- Duke defense, as Jason was pointing out, just cannot tackle them. They cannot stop them from, from marching slowly down the field. And I thought, Oh my God! This is going to be like last week, and and this is this is just not this is this is not, like I'm I am not an overreactor by any means when it comes to to the results of these games, but I was ready to go into fire everybody mode. Yeah, hey, hey
1: Sam, I think that that moment you're talking about this is the lowest moment of David Cutcliffe's entire era
2: at Duke. It felt it felt really really crummy, and then Duke proceeds to march down the field on the next drive, and then they recover an onside kick. And and are able to score one more time. Can can so, I
1: can I ask guys, what do y'all think about the onside? Because I was a little bit like, why are we using an onside kick, uh, you know, a sneaky play like this? It was a trick play. Why are we using this against an opponent opponent like NCA and T that were probably going to, you know, just absolutely manhandle?
2: Um, because because at that point in the game, we had not we had yeah, not really yeah. manhandled them. And, we needed something. We needed a spark. And, and and there is a there's an element of motivational technique. Like, of course, you don't want to empty the whole the whole trick playbook against teams that you're probably going to beat because you want to use it later. But there, I I can tell you, here's here's insight from from being at football practice. There is an unlimited number of of trick plays that you can run on <laughs> on the kickoffs. Um, we used to we used to waste a lot of time during practice uh, with the because the the kickers and punters typically aren't really involved much once once most of the rest of the team gets on the field they have lots of time to practice silly onside kicks and and sort of fake punts and all kinds of stuff
0: trust me the well is deep on <laughs> on trick plays you're not wasting them yeah and for me i think you talked about time of possession jason and i want to talk about this for a second the length of the drives for t in the first half you had the first drive 20 plays 86 yards 1208 time of possession scored a touchdown Second drive, five plays, 28 yards, three minutes, 25 seconds, and they punt. Third drive, 14 plays, 59 yards, 648 time of possession, touchdown. There's your half right there. They had the ball for 22 minutes in the first half. The first half is 30 minutes. So Duke didn't have a chance to really – they had to score quickly. But because of that, I think where the the onside kick comes in is they still need to give their defense a rest. I mean, their defense was on the field for a long time, and – as they kept, and they had no confidence so they needed to have some sort of spark to get everybody motivated and back in the game now in the second half they were able to control the time a little bit more and also they were able to get NCAA and T off the field quickly six drives they only had one field goal the rest were punts except for one which was a turnover on downs and duke scored in his first four drives in the second half that was the ball game so they need to get some confidence. They need to get some momentum. And it's very hard to do that when your defense can't get people off the field. That's what we saw in the first half. And like you said, that low moment is because they were so drained and so demoralized that they had to do something to, you know, try and get these guys excited and back into the game and get the fans excited and back into the game instead of seeing, Oh no, another methodical, you know, 14 play drive where the other team just kind of takes it and runs the ball down our throat. So I think that was the key here. And I think, One thing that I also saw was even though the running game wasn't on point like it was last week, they were still scoring all the touchdowns. And it was really because there was a nice balance attack. Like you said, Jason, Gunnar Holmberg was very accurate, was able to get the ball to guys, not big plays, but to move the chains and get the ball down the field and then get into a position where Mateo Durant or someone else could run the ball in. Gunnar Holmberg himself had two run-ins. But by the way,
1: I thought one of the most important plays in the entire game is – essentially what's going to be the last play of the first half. It's tied at 14. Duke is on like the two yard line, three yard line. Well, I get two yard line really. And they have no timeouts left. There's only five seconds on the clock and they chose to hand the ball off to, to Mateo Durant. If he doesn't get in the end zone, the half's over and Duke gets no points from a situation where three points is an automatic and you're, and you're expecting to get seven. Uh, And, and again, it was a tie game at that point. The guts that it took, the confidence that it took to say we're going to hand the ball off to Mateo Durant, who, who has been bottled up a lot in this game, and he's going to score is that's a it's a big moment. And, and is, you know, look, there are a lot of people out there who are, who, who are criticizing David Cutcliffe uh, rightfully, in my opinion. Uh, Duke Duke's season is not off to a good start. Um, and we've this is coming on the back of, a, of, of several seasons that have not gone well. As we would expect, um so I I i praise him for having that kind of confidence in his players, in his offensive line, and in his star running back. Because if Durant doesn't get in the end zone there, you know I'm not sure David Cutcliffe may walk into the locker room, but he he might have been walking all the way through the locker room to his office to clean it out and leave at halftime. <laughs> uh, if they, if they don't get that that TD, it was a it was a big deal. And by the way, I also wanted to mention really quick before we look ahead a little bit. Um, Freshman quarterback, Jordan Moore. uh, I really like the way this kid looked Um, again, it's against NCA and T, but, but he looks like a real dual threat quarterback, a guy who can beat you with his legs and beat you with his arm. Um, And I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what develops out of him, uh, you know, throughout a a Duke career that I I think could be really interesting. I like Jordan Moore.
0: Yeah. And so really quickly, as we look forward next week, Duke takes on Northwestern, they host them at Wallace Wade stadium uh, next weekend. Jason, I know you've taken a quick look at Northwestern. What can we expect from the Wildcats as they come into Durham uh, to take on the Blue Devils?
1: I mean, so Northwestern is not a team. Th- this is a Power Five conference team that, somewhat like Duke, uh, you know, is not super impressive so far. They, they, they lost pretty badly um, to Michigan State in their season opener. They lost 38-21. to you know, It wasn't a super competitive game. Uh, they beat Indiana State uh, this weekend, 24 to six Indiana state, you know, somewhat like, uh, they're not Indiana state's probably better than NCA and T, but Indiana state, not a power five school, not a, not a, you know, school that's expected to be a, a real player in college football. So Northwestern, you know, not a great team, but this is the kind of team that Duke needs to be able to compete with. Um, they, they, they've got an interesting situation on offense. Their quarterback is a guy named Hunter Johnson, um, who was a big time recruit. I mean, we're talking like this guy was like a top 20 recruit. He was considered one of the top two or three um, quarterbacks in his entire recruiting class. And uh, he has really struggled in his Northwestern career. In fact, it was a little bit of a surprise when uh, he was a starter for a while. And then like, he didn't play for an entire season because he was the backup. Um, It was a little bit of a surprise when he was again, named the starter for, for this season. I want to say he's a junior at this point, maybe a senior, Um, but, but he's a guy who's really only a pocket passer. He's not going to He's not going to get out there and, and beat you with his legs. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see if the the Duke cornerbacks can can hold their coverage enough to uh, to, to foil him. And then the other guy sort of to look out for. Um, they've got a, a sophomore running back um, named Evan Hull, uh, who's who's pretty quick. Uh, he's had a couple pretty good games. He's uh, he, he's well over two hundred yards rushing on the season so far. He scored a number of touchdowns. Um, and, and and their attack, I think. Uh, you know, is is predicated somewhat on, on getting Evan Hull um, and getting his speed uh, into the defensive secondary Uh, and Duke, you know, Duke's defense struggles with tackling. If you don't tackle Evan Hull, he's going to, he's going to get some big runs against you. So those are the things to watch out for against Northwestern. This should be a good game. Um, This is a a power five team that Duke can definitely compete with. And this is the kind of win that uh, Duke, Duke has to have this kind of win if we're going to really be competitive in the ACC and have any kind of shot at getting a bowl game.
0: Yes, again, confidence, momentum. Let's take what we learned from NCAT. Let's apply it to Northwestern. And again, let's get that second win. Before we wrap, there's a couple of things around college football that were fun notes that we wanted to uh, highlight here. I'm going to start with Sam, who has an interesting connection between Duke and Jacksonville State. Sam, what is that connection?
2: Yeah, if you didn't see uh, the game or the highlights from yesterday, Jacksonville State beat Florida State on a uh, on a touchdown at the end of regulation. It was a it was a hail mary, and the the victory was really delivered by wide receiver Damon Philia Johnson, who uh, Duke fans may remember because he is a Duke transfer. Uh, he left after last season to head to Jacksonville State, so uh, pretty cool to see him beating Florida State, uh, team I don't i. I now I'm trying to remember if we if we had played them in his time, but certainly not a team that we have beaten in his time in Durham. Uh, so so pretty cool for him to have that moment. And if you haven't watched the highlight, go check it out, because it is uh, it is some impressive scrambling that he does uh, on yards after the catch to get into the end zone. And the homer call. You always got to do it for the homer call. And the Jackson oh, State it's, call is it, it's fantastic. a real it, it's a real meltdown in the Florida State radio booth. I, I, I caught that one as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, and also, if we're staying in the state of Florida, uh, there was another Duke transfer that played in Florida last night. Chase Bryce, uh, who, of course, transferred to Appalachian State, played my law school. I'm a monitor of the University of Miami down in uh, down in uh, where is it? It's in Miami. Of course it is. Um, but that is not the story of this game. The story no, of this does, game. was Where does
1: Miami play their home games in Miami?
0: <laughs> somewhere 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 in Miami-Dade
2: County. The, the University barely... of Miami is in Coral Gables, so, you know, it, it I it's not an unfair uh thing to get tripped up on if you didn't actually graduate from there, Donald.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I didn't spend a lot of time at the at Sun Life Stadium or I'm sorry, it's Hard Rock now or I'm sorry, what is it now? Land Shark. It was like five different names in my 3 years there, and I didn't spend any time there because we were still playing at the Orange Bowl, RIP. Uh but Chase Rice is not the story of this game. He just happened to be one of the elements of this game. The main story is shout out to the Miami students who were able to save a cat. Yes, that's right. A cat from dropping three stories down from the 400 level down to the 100 level. It was hanging from a wire. If you have not seen this video, it is all over social media. A cat somehow got loose in the stadium and was about to fall off of the 400 deck of uh, Hard Rock Stadium. And somehow the students were able to manufacture a plan to save this cat. They caught it in a flag. It was an
1: American flag. They caught it in the flag. I was going to
0: say, it was an American flag that they were able to use as kind of like a tarp to catch this here cat. Uh, The cat is doing fine, according to Miami and according to Hard Rock Stadium. Uh, It has eight lives left. Um, Honestly, I think it might have lost two in that fall because it was a pretty big fall. But shout out to my alma mater and their students for saving a cat and then also barely, barely beating Appalachian State because Miami needed that one. So uh, that was pretty cool. Um, and if you have not seen that video, definitely go check that out on Twitter.
1: Hey, hey just super quick, I do want to um, mention one ACC team that did a really good thing. Uh, Pitt beat Tennessee. Uh, ACC team beating SEC team does not happen very often. <laughs> so, hey, props to the to the Pitt Panthers for, for taking out Tennessee for giving the ACC a win against a a major, uh, probably the best, uh, almost certainly the best conference in in college football. And Tennessee is no slouch. Um, uh, Other results that are worth mentioning, Virginia absolutely destroyed Illinois. That's a, a Big Ten team. Virginia beat Illinois 42 to 14. Virginia looks really, 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 really good. I'm not sure if I said enough reallys, but that's how good Virginia looks so far. Um, and, uh, in terms of ACC against power five conference teams, it wasn't all good news. Syracuse lost to Rutgers. Um, Syracuse is the ACC team that is preventing everyone from saying that Duke is definitively the worst team in the ACC. So, uh,
0: (laughs) and I'm gonna let them have it too.
1: Yeah. At least we got Syracuse, right guys.
0: And and shout out to the ducks because the ducks beat Ohio state and you know, my feelings on Ohio state. So I will leave it at that. That will do it for episode 341 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. Don't forget, like, subscribe, rate five stars, and review wherever you find your podcast. It really helps us out. And, of course, we appreciate it. And for all questions or topic suggestions, like the Duke draft we just did, DBRPodcast at gmail.com. We will be back real soon. So for Jason Evans and for Sam Klein, I am Donald Wine, And now, Duke Band, do your thing. Take us home.